loving God. Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, as she called us to live to a higher standard each day, not to be satisfied with just a little religion in life as a shallow substitute for giving God our best. The series will continue in the coming weeks as we hear from family, friends, and others. They were influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. We continue our extended series on the story of Amy Carmichael today as we think about loving God. We'll be hearing from Jan Wismer, who had a lot to do with the early days of the creation of Gateway to Joy, and about the theme, Do the Next Thing. Also, we'll hear from Peter DeVries, an accomplished musician and the nephew of Elizabeth Elliot, as he talks about Howard Family Update Letters. That's later today. First, though, it's Loving God Part 1. It's a subgroup in our extended look at the Amy Carmichael story, 24 parts in all. Loving God. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you this time about loving God, what it means to love God. I remind you day after day of that everlasting love with which he has loved us and the fact that no matter where we are or what condition we're in or even what our attitude may be, that underneath are his everlasting arms. Last week I gave you the references from which I've taken my opening words. I'll give them to you again in case some of you didn't have a pencil at the moment and wanted to look them up. The first one, I've loved you with an everlasting love, is from Jeremiah 31, verse 3. Jeremiah 31, 3. And the next one, underneath are the everlasting arms, is in Deuteronomy 33, 27. Deuteronomy 33:27. You know that we've been going through the story of Amy Carmichael, a woman whose life has had a tremendous influence in my own. I'm sure that she is the single most influential author, not only in my spiritual life, but also in my writing. I've not tried to imitate her writing. She's way beyond my abilities, but I trust that I have learned some things from her about honesty, truthfulness, being straightforward, and not doing what one friend of mine said so many Christians do in their writing, corning it up. I can remember hearing him say that. He had read some Christian books that people had given him trying to make a Christian out of him, and he was just joking about the fact that these Christian books were so corny and as I was in the process of writing a book then, he said to me, don't corn it up. Well, Amy Carmichael certainly never corned it up. And I'm so grateful for the things that she has taught me, or at least the lessons that she has laid before me and which I am still trying to learn, and by the grace of God, will learn. Loving God, we've got to get back to the meaning of the word love according to the scripture. Our modern idea of love is such a poor, weak, soupy, sentimental one, so far from the strong, pure, steel-like grip with which God's love holds us. 
and so far from the kind of love that you and I ought to have for God. Love is always self-giving. Love is always sacrificial. We certainly don't hear much nowadays about either sacrifice or self-giving. I was dismayed the other day. I was listening to one of the early morning news shows, and they happened to be at West Point, and they were telling about the sponsors, the adults who live in the town, who sponsor, uh, I guess it was not West Point students, there was a program on West Point, and then there was also one on Annapolis, and I think this one was on Annapolis. And they had several of the women who make homes for these boys. They are assigned several boys to whom they are sort of mothers, and they open their homes to them and invite them over for meals and holidays and things like that. And after talking to some of the Annapolis students about what these sponsors had meant to them, then the interviewer held the mic to the mouth of one of these women sponsors, and her question was, what's in it for you? And I thought, oh dear, do we really have to constantly be asking that question? What's in it for me? I'm not going to do anything unless there's something in it for me. Well, I was glad that the woman's answer was, I think we get more out of it than they do. But I'm sure that her primary motive was not because she was going to get more out of it. Surely her motive was to give the men something. But isn't that the way with our modern notion of love? Is it going to satisfy my needs? Is it going to make me feel good about myself? Is it going to fulfill all my dreams rather than in what way may I give myself to or for this person? In 1 John 3.16, we read, Herein is love. We know and to some extent realize the love of God for us because Christ expressed it in laying down his life for us. We must in turn express our love by laying down our lives for those who are our brothers. That's a description of self-giving love, isn't it? This is how we know what love is, John says, that Christ laid down his life for us. He said, my life for yours. And then he turns around and he says, you're to love one another in the same way that I have loved you. What did that mean? Sacrifice. To put it very simply in one word, it means sacrifice. That's what love is about. Amy Carmichael considered love the gold cord of the Donavour Fellowship, the group that she founded in South India for saving little children who were in moral danger. She had, at the height of the work, I think a family of about 700 children and 200 workers, many of whom were Indian and some of whom were European. And the cord that held these beads together, the string to the beads, as it were, was love. They came from many different nationalities. They spoke many different languages. The Indians came from different castes, and yet they were bound together, not by a soupy sentiment, but by the strong love of God. I think of 
the mother love with which Amy poured out herself for those little children whom God gave her, some of them starving little scraps of humanity that were brought to her just when they were at death's door, and she had to see them die, some of them beautiful children with pale coffee with cream-colored skin, big brown eyes, beautiful, wavy, soft, dark brown hair. There are many pictures of these children in Amy Carmichael's books. But then Amy learned to love them. She mothered them. She was ama to them, the Tamil word for mother. And one little child whose name was Indranila was the favorite of everybody, a child of about two years old, less than two years old, who became ill in an epidemic, and the only baby left from that epidemic was Indranila, who was lying very quietly on the lap of one of the Indian workers. Six children were ill then, Amy said, and the nursing had to be divided. Amy and Aralai, one of her Indian co-workers, were with Indranila in the early morning. Just before dawn, she called and holding up her little hand as high as she could reach up, pointed Then she pointed to a toy music box, which we always kept beside her, and when it was given to her, she turned the handle till the first notes came. Now she stopped and looked up with those joyous eyes, so unlike a baby's, in steadfast of expression. Let me go to my heaven. A little harp awaits me thereby. Amy must have been quoting from some poem at that point. And then she says she held out her little hands to be kissed, and then, tired, fell asleep. In the few hours that followed, we could not help noticing the other-world expression deepening in the baby's eyes. Then there was a sudden breaking of the silence, one little cry, the baby's mother word, Amma, and an angel came for her. Amy was heartbroken to lose this precious child, but she wrote this poem. I may be talking to someone today who has lost a child, or whose child is extremely ill. Let me read to you the words from the heart of a mother, a heart that was broken again and again through the loss of children. Dear little feet, so eager to be walking, but never walked in any grieving way. Dear little mouth, so eager to be talking, but never hurt with words it cannot say. Dear little hands outstretched in eager welcome, dear little head that close against me lay, Father, to thee I give my Indranila. Thou wilt take care of her until that day. One evening a fellow worker had brought some trouble to Amy Carmichael about a younger one who was missing the way of love. This led to a wakeful night for Amy For the word at such times, she said, is always, Lord, is it I? Have I failed her anywhere? What do I know of Calvary love? And then she said that sentence by sentence, these ifs came. If is the title of one of Amy Carmichael's most famous books, most popular. These sentences came almost as if spoken aloud to the inward ear. I would suggest that you get your hands on a copy of Amy Carmichael's book, If, as soon as you possibly can. But let me read you some of these ifs. Every page begins with the word if and ends with the same phrase, then I know nothing of Calvary love. 
If I cast off a confessed, repented, and forsaken sin against another and allow my remembrance of that sin to color my thinking and feed my suspicions, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I sympathize weakly with weakness and say to one who is turning back from the cross, pity thyself, if I refuse such a one the sympathy that braces and the brave and heartening word of comradeship, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I fear to hold another to the highest because it is so much easier to avoid doing so, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Does that tell you something about the quality of your love for God? Loving God. That was Gateway to Joy 286. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to hear from Jan Wismer, who was the announcer on the Gateway to Joy program in the early days of the broadcast. And just a quick note about that theme, Do the Next Thing, one you might have heard Elizabeth talk about a number of times. In April of 1988, Back to the Bible invited Elizabeth Elliot to come and be the speaker for a 15-minute radio program. The maxim most oft-quoted by Gateway to Joy listeners was, when you don't know what to do, let's say it together, do the next thing. Most oft-quoted. One day I asked, should I dry the dishes? She said, oh no, never do work that can do itself, Jan. Jan Wismer, who had so much to do with the Gateway to Joy program getting underway. Well, later on we'll hear from Elizabeth's nephew, musician Peter DeVries. As he talks about Howard family update letters. What's that about? You'll hear more. Also, we'll hear more from the book If right now. Gateway to Joy 287, Loving God Part 2. I was reading to you some from Amy Carmichael's masterful little book called If, a book that she felt the Lord had almost given to her sentence by sentence. Let me continue with a few more selections from this little book. If I become entangled in any inordinate affection, if things or places or people hold me back from obedience to my Lord, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If something I am asked to do for another feels burdensome, if yielding to an inward unwillingness I avoid doing it, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And here's one that really gets me right between the eyes, as virtually every one of them does. If I want to be known as the doer of something that has proved the right thing, or as the one who suggested that it should be done, then I know nothing of Calvary love. The love of God is not a sentiment. The kind of love that you and I are to have for God is not sentimental. If we love God, then we will learn to love others with a love which is not sentimental and weak, sympathizing with weakness and encouraging people in their sins. It's a strong love, stronger than death, stronger than steel. Am I speaking to some parents who are having trouble knowing exactly how to love their children? You know, the book of Proverbs speaks of using a rod for your children. I'm sure that the writer of the Proverbs is not talking about 
a two-by-four, but perhaps a ruler, maybe a little switch taken from a bush in the backyard, such as my mother used to use, or perhaps a paint stirrer. It depends on your child, on his age, and on what you may have available at the time, but I think it's a good idea not to use your hand in order that the child may learn to associate the hand only with love rather than with punishment. But a parent who does not use the rod, according to the scriptures, is a parent who hates his child. To use a rod on that little child that you love requires self-denial, self-discipline, courage. Loving God also requires self-denial, self-discipline, and courage. Amy Carmichael had to discipline her children many, many times. She had helpers, of course, young women who lived in bungalows with small groups of children from perhaps eight to ten children. But they would administer certain kinds of punishment. But if it required a spanking, then that child was usually sent to Amma, to Amy Carmichael, the mother of the whole family. The name used for the non-Indian workers who helped Amy Carmichael was Siti. It was a Tamil word meaning mother's sister. One day, a Siti sent a child with a note to Amma for a spanking. The child announced that she had been sent to Amma with a note, but she didn't have the note to present. And where was it? I swallowed it, the child said. Well, usually the notes reached Amy Carmichael. If a child had lied, she would be sent to Amma's room. One of these children, an old woman close to 90, told me her own story when I was visiting in Donavur in the process of writing this book. She said I had told a lie, and I was sent to Amma's room, shaking. Amma sent me into her bathroom for a strap. I came back trembling with the strap, presented it to her. She took me on her lap in front of a mirror. And instead of spanking me, she began to read to me from Isaiah 53. He was afflicted. He submitted to be struck down. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, like a ewe that is dumb before the shearers. Without protection, without justice, he was taken away. Stricken to the death for my people's transgression. He bore the sin of many and interceded for their transgressions. When Amma had read that passage from the prophet Isaiah to the little child, she then beat her own arm with the leather strap and explained the plan of salvation. You and I, because we're sinners, we deserve punishment. Jesus, instead of administering that punishment to us, offered himself, bore our sins and carried our sorrows. By his floggings, his stripes, we are healed. Amy was a woman of terrific imagination, and one time when two little girls had been brought to her because they could not walk in harmony, she tied their pigtails together, thus forcing them to walk in harmony for several hours. One little child came to her, sent by the city, because she persisted in the habit of biting her nails. 
Amy took her hands gently in hers, and she said, Darling, these are beautiful hands. What have you been doing to them? Aren't these the Lord Jesus' hands? Now don't be afraid. She kissed the little girl's fingertips and then said to her, Promise me and the Lord Jesus that you will stop. And the little girl promised. And then come and see me when the nails have begun to grow. This child told me that that worked, that because she remembered that they were beautiful hands and they belonged to the Lord Jesus, she didn't want to bite them anymore. Loyal love, Amy said, was the taproot of the tree that became the Donover Fellowship. She never forgot that morning when she first arrived in Japan before she went to India. She was walking along on a very gray, drizzly day with a missionary who began to talk about the conflicts and tensions that existed between missionaries. It was a terrible shock to Amy, the new missionary. The thing that shocked her the most was the fact that this older missionary was able to speak of such things with a casual lack of love. Amy thought of the words, He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. One of the rules that she made for her family in Donavour was never speak about, but always to. In other words, people were not to talk about each other behind their backs. If they had a complaint, they were to go directly to the person. And trust was established on this ground. Another rule was come, not go. Come with me. She could not ask others to do what she herself had never done or was not willing to do. She didn't send them to do the job. She led them to the job. She said to prospective candidates, If you come to Donavour, you must come without a but, an if, or a limit. It was a high standard that she set, a steep hill that she was asking the family to climb. But the leaders had to climb it first. Isn't that a lesson for us parents, for us grandparents, for us who have an influence on others in any way at all? And who of us doesn't? have an influence on somebody. The man who was her leader in India, a man by the name of Thomas Walker, died. And people wrote to her, it is very hard to see how this can fit in to God's perfect plan. Amy's answer to that was, we are not asked to see. We know. From his word, we know that it fits into God's plan for good. We know the incontestable fact that it is for the best. To will what God wills brings peace. And the lesson that Amy had to learn out of losing this trusted and much depended upon co-worker of hers, Thomas Walker, she put into a poem called Make Me Thy Fuel, which has been one of the prayers of my life from prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain, free thy soldier who would follow thee. 
from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings. Not thus our spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified, from all that dims thy Calvary. O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. That's one of the mottos that I have on the wall of my study. It's done in bronze by a friend of mine. The last line of that poem, Make me thy fuel, flame of God. You can find that in Amy Carmichael's biography entitled A Chance to Die on page 221. Loving God means a total commitment. It means sacrifice. It means self-giving. And he says, if you love me, you must love your brother. May God help us to do that. Loving God, part two. Well, before we go, we do have time to hear from Peter DeVries, an accomplished musician, and also the nephew of Elizabeth Elliot. He talks about the Howard Family Update Letters. The Howard Family, and many of you know them, um, is a remarkable family in many ways, and they decided that sticking close to home was not the thing to do, and there was Ecuador, and there was Costa Rica, and Colombia, and the Philippines, and you know the story. Um, but they had this remarkable tradition, I think started by Grandma Howard, of family letters. And I can tell you, I used to watch my mother put seven sheets of paper, little tiny onion skin paper in the uh, typewriter with carbon copies and bang out a letter once a week about what's going on in the DeVries family at the end of the world. And they would all go to my grandmother and my grandmother would collate them and pull all the addresses out, stuff envelopes and send those letters to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we all felt like we knew the family and it was a remarkable thing. Musician Peter DeVries, nephew of Elizabeth Elliot. Well, our time together is coming to an end. Hey, thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you as you take a walk, wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources available at elizabethelliot.org. What's available? Well, for instance, devotionals, lectures, talks, Gateway to Joy programs, videos, and more. Elizabeth Elliot, Elizabeth with an S, elizabethelliot.org. Hey, sometime when you're going to listen to this podcast, maybe you could leave a review. Just a quick note could encourage somebody else to listen. Thanks. Well, until next time, may God remind you daily you're loved with an everlasting love. Underneath or what? That's right. Underneath are the everlasting arms.